Welcome to The Big Idea. I'm Douglas Kerr, and today the word is creativity. That is, the ability to invent, to bring something original into the world. For the ancients, human creativity was an imitation of and a homage to the divine being who created heaven and earth. Today we can talk about creativity in all sorts of activities, in football, in cooking, administration, as well as in storytelling and music and design. We have creative arts and creative industries. Creativity may be easy to recognize, but it's not so easy to define or to inculcate or to teach. We may suspect that it flourishes in children. Perhaps it's related to play, but that it may be snuffed out by the way most of us tend to live and work as adults. We venerate our great creative artists, but indeed everyone values creativity. There's a widespread feeling that it's a good thing, but that there isn't enough of it around. Why isn't everybody creative? Is it related to certain kinds of intelligence or of upbringing? Is it confined to human beings? Can it be learned? Can it be measured? These are some of the questions I want to put to my two guests today. Dr. Paige Richards is a colleague of mine from Hong Kong University, a teacher of creative writing and herself a poet. Jonathan Neelands is Professor of Creative Education at the Warwick Business School and also Chair of Drama and Theatre Education at the University of Warwick in the UK. So, Paige, um, let's start with the artists themselves because, after all, these people think about creativity as well as actually doing it. Um, what are some of the insights that great artists have had into the creative faculty into how they understand how they work? Well, just tracking it briefly across time, um, we can start with someone like Michelangelo in, in the spirit of that uh, divine homage and the ways in which he thought that the sculptor could could release the excess air. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which which is, yes, that, that effectively many of the earlier artists had begun with the idea that, that from, from the perspective and ending – that the the sculpture had, was already, or the or the or the poem was already in place, and that the 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 work of the artist was not that of creativity that is making something from nothing, but instead, a, 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 the practice of releasing the excess air and the surplus around what was already. Given. So you get a Michelangelo gets a big block of marble, and inside there there is a sculpture, David or Moses or something, and he's got to find it. Exactly. In fact, uh, one, something that he said uh, when asked about releasing his sculpture, he said, it's simple. I re just remove everything that doesn't look like David. Yeah. <laughs> I remove everything that doesn't look like David. Okay. <laughs> That's very good. But how helpful is it, after all, to us who want to try to understand creativity? Mm. I think what's, what's interesting about that that we can carry forward is that, again, begins with the notion of, of – of, of, of an ending, that, that the artist is there to release something that, that, that already exists. Mm -hmm. uh, what we carry forward now is that much of what we do looks at how we see a familiar thing in an unfamiliar way. So that instead of beginning with the ending, we actually start with an original cut. And so someone like Andrew Motion will often talk about how he'll take simile or metaphor as a very basic act mm -hmm. of art in which we begin, begin by seeing something familiar in an unfamiliar way. Good, because if you're a great poet, 
you're working with the same words that that everyone else works with. There's nothing you're not making up original words, no. but that you're finding a way of using them that hasn't been done before. That's right, and, and that that helps your reader or your listener to see things in a new way. That's right. It's a framing perspective, a Mm. framing process. I think what's so interesting to me about that is that um, the way in which, for instance, we can take it to the visual arts and with a a famous story of Picasso in which he could not learn to read when he was young because Mm. – and and, and he started with numbers and letters and the the Arabic um, abstractions didn't make sense. So uh, when he would look at the number three, for instance, he saw women's breasts – it was a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and so each each Arabic moved and shifted. So the familiar thing was seen in an unfamiliar way. So that he could not put his 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 father in particular said he should not go to school. So he actually went to school much later, and the father allowed the imaging that intuition to See, move. That, that, I hadn't heard that story. That's really interesting because, well, it's Picasso, but. Before you can see the the number three as women's breasts, you have to stop seeing it as a number three. Exactly. You have to throw away the familiar to make room for the unexpected. And that's the the part where we can think about helping others to join in now because we can help, for instance, we can help someone who's starting to write or someone who's starting to sculpt to make space from to make space around what's normally familiar. We ask them to slow down. Um, Donald Revel has a beautiful saying. He said, we open the eye a little wider, a little longer. Hmm. Okay. So that we, we make that space you're talking about. We defamiliarize it by slowing it down. Gosh, we've, got, we've got a lot of things then to start off with. We've got mm. the notion of releasing something that is potential. Yes. We've got defamiliarization. Um, and we've got also the sense of invention. Yes. Of not just finding, but bringing into being. Okay, Jonathan, the question for you is, <laughs> is if we leave behind the artist for the moment and think about, if we can, about the psychology of creativity, is there a, any agreement among psychologists to think about these things as to what creativity is and how it works? No, I don't think there's any agreement. I mean, there are traditions of thought, and I guess the most basic distinction would be between creativity as a as a divine thing, God created the world and us, and and then a Promethean tradition. You know, I remember Prometheus stole fire from the gods and brought it to mankind in order to improve their lot. And it's that Promethean tradition which I think is now better understood, although artists often like to associate themselves with the divine tradition of creativity do, yeah. as well as they are divinely inspired. Yeah. Um, I think in America, people like Sternberg have, have made creativity an essential element of, of high intelligence. And of course, we are all creative and we all have the ability to be more creative. So I think it's, it's useful to make a distinction between what some psychologists call trait creativity, that which we all possess. And trait. T-R-A-I-T. And high achieving creatives, which is not necessarily going to be something that we're all going to aspire to. And then I think there are other theories which help with that. So Csikszentmihalyi in the States has this notion of system theory of creativity where he makes the point that creativity is very field-specific, so what it means to be a creative physicist is not necessarily the same as what it means to be a creative writer. You know, it comes from the field. And yet, we do use the same word. We use the same word. We we think of, and I I would think 
of a, a great scientific discovery mm. as being something as creative as, mm. as making of a poem or something mm. like that. But I, I think it's... I think what influences that is the the people that we now think of as being high-achieving creatives in a particular field. We only know about them because they've existed in a in a community of peers, and it's your peers who decide whether or not you're creative or not. You know, without that acceptance, without that recognition. You know, right. so for for every avant-garde artist, there have been thousands we've never heard of because, for one reason or another, the domain never picked that up. Sure. And also, there are gatekeepers. So you only become a creative. You know, publishers, mm-hmm. gallery owners, agents <clears throat> are all gatekeepers to creativity. So whether you become high achieving or not doesn't just depend upon your ability, your, your innate talent, so to speak. It mm-hmm. depends upon a lot of other factors, and it also depends upon a lot of hard work. You, you know, high achieving creative people are you know. A furiously hard-working, you know, well-trained, well-skilled people. It's not just something that's going to is going to happen overnight. Ninety-nine percent perspiration. That's right, absolutely. Yeah. And I think what helps with that, I mean, a common feature of highly creative people, and and something that we should try to encourage in the young is is what Chick sent me high the, the state of flow. You know, the ability of highly creative people to completely lose themselves absolutely in what they're doing. So time passes, they don't eat, they don't drink, they just work, 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 work until it's until it's done. And that ability to absorb oneself completely in task, which is something that as children we learn from play. And I think play, theories of play and theories of creativity are, you know, are very closely related. I mean, the, the, the play is a... It's a strange experience in that we manage to combine disappointment with frustration and pleasure. Things break and we make them again and we enjoy that and there has to be something of that playfulness in the artist where they're they're willing, as Paige says, to think outside the box, to see things differently, to try a different way of doing it. You could hit that that stone and it could smash in front of you, you know. I mentioned in my introduction this very romantic idea that uh, we think of all children as being marvellously creative and then... As, as we enter into the world of yeah. the symbolic order and, and having to earn our living and yeah, stuff, yeah. We, we lose that. Can you go back, Jonathan, to, to the sense of the child's creativity and try and put a finger on it beyond just play? And play seems to be an essential part of creativity, mm. but the creation of something. Um, well, there, there, is, there is an argument that we are... Imaginative powers are at their height at about the age of five, and then they descend from there on because we have to, you know, learn language and we have to learn how language relates to the world, and that requires all kinds of imagination. Mean, that for me is, is baseline creativity in a child, you know, and the playing with things in order to develop motor skills, the playing with things in order to develop <coughs> skills of perception and manipulation, which are important for human survival, are also the tools that are necessary for creativity. What do you mean by imaginative? The ability to ask questions about the way things are and how they might be viewed or seen differently, and in terms of symbolic order, the ability to to turn a cardboard box into a pirate ship or into a rocket ship, the ability to turn a banana into a telephone, the ability to give persona and characters to the dolls, stuffed dolls that are that are there. I mean, it's it's so all pervasive in a in a healthy childhood that it's 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 difficult to pick out in a child's world what's not creative because they are each one of us as Raymond Williams says has to recreate the world for ourselves mm. and in order to communicate we have to be able to create what we see and what we experience and translate it into 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 language so it's a kind of basic stage of human development which is why it's a trait in all of us even okay. if it's not an ambition in all of us 
It's interesting. It makes me think of, uh, because I was also in math for quite a long time, and of course many of the people in math end up not feeling as if they're as able to create when they're after a certain age. Mathematicians are notoriously, do a lot of good work when they're they're young. Yes, exactly. Like lyric poets. There's an overlap. That's right. Go into administration. Yeah, that's right. Yes, that's right. They disappear. (laughs) And somehow they're both behind the scenes together not knowing what to do with each other. (laughs) Can Can we begin to explain that? I do think some of it has to do with, I mean, it relates to what you're just saying about disassociation, because I worked with mathematicians for a long time, and and I think in many cases there are ways in which we, we sometimes use the word interdisciplinary now, but that's mm-hmm. to reproduce to reproduce acts of disassociation, in fact, um, from a disciplinary specific position. And I think that many of the mathematicians and, and especially the ones that became very well known by the time they were 20, mm-hmm. <laughs> already had already had 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 bound themselves to 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 they didn't see things as 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 Andrew Moshe was saying about uh, seeing the familiar thing in an unfamiliar way um, Einstein had also said creativity is seeing what others see and thinking what no one else has ever thought and I think that's the kind of work when I was doing math we would often and I do think the visual has something to do with this and the verbal we haven't really broken it down yet but I think in many ways the quality of intuition comes in. We keep but, but I may that in relief. These, these yes. words are, are arriving yes. every couple of yes. minutes. Imagination, intuition, and vision. I, I think intuition comes in precisely at the moment of disassociation because there's a way in which, for instance, someone will see something without understanding. Will s- I remember doing proofs and I would see the proof before I could articulate it. Yes. <laughs> and I, so I, there's, a, there's an imagistic disassociation with the <clears throat> verbal. <laughs> And I think that's what gets harder as they get older, because that starts to that becomes difficult to sustain. And I, you know, I think it comes back to the to the hard work as well. You know, when Einstein says thinking something that nobody's ever thought before, you need to know what everybody else has thought in order to do that. I think yeah. you know you need to look at the dead ends and look at the staleness and look for the fresh. But that means you know a deep, deep knowledge Absolutely. of your field, which is why I think that. High achieving creativity is, 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 you know, it's very restricted. You, you, you can't be a Renaissance man and be successful in, in, in all areas of, of, of potential for creativity at all, I don't think. Let's come back to this question of vision, which both yeah. of you have talked about. Yeah. Because in order to, you have to see the telephone in the banana. Mm-hmm. You have to see that mm-hmm. potential. Mm-hmm. So we all see the banana, but, but only a, a, an imaginative child. Mm-hmm sees the telephone um, and we can talk about intuition by all means talk about intuition but I don't know what it is I think part of it has to do with making space away from away from the what we what we normally see so yes. I mean, th- that how do yeah. we make space and yes. we can talk about that in different and ways whether it's temporal space the, whether yeah. it's temporal or space how yeah. do we create uh, what Donald Hall calls a Vatic state from yeah. Vates, <laughs> the Vatic state, um, like a sanctuary. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. 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 No, I think, you know, I think it goes back to playfulness again. I mean, play, you know, play uh, are episodes which are which are heightened, which are separated from from everyday experience, in which we disassociate, as you say, mm-hmm. in which we loosen the ties between yeah. semiotic ties, symbolic ties between things, and that continues to be, you know, a crucial a crucial process in in adult life for those who want to pursue a, a creative career or an artistic career. You have to keep being able to do that. I think. Mm. It reminds me of Bob Dylan when he was asked about 
uh, composing his songs, and he said he would just set his head back and wait for it to come. <laughs> but, well, I but, do that sometimes. And, it doesn't, and, and come. doesn't work. And <laughs> he, was saying, <laughs> he was saying it doesn't come anymore. Uh, okay. And that's what was so difficult for him because he tilted his head waiting. But, of course, that doesn't, that doesn't exclude what you're talking in terms of preparation. Of course, he had studied Woody Guthrie. He had studied through the years. No, and I, and I think that that you know that that's a kind of harping back. The, the divine sense of creativity has never lost us. And I said mm. artists in particular like to you know, like to reclaim that. It come, comes to me in a dream. Or, or it's why it's it gone now. The voices no longer speak to me. And, yeah. you know, I, I, you know, but I think a nice way of saying that now in a contemporary context, it's it's pa- there's a passive quality to it that never gets. It doesn't have a heroic element about it. The passive we tend to think of that as not something that we all want to approve. But per- I think passive. it's extremely important. Passive attending upon the event. Yes. Yeah, most, yes. of the assum- most assumptions Which, that we make are, you know, are about creativity are fairly masculine. I mean, we never talk about procreation or the ultimate mm. act of creation of mm. having babies as being mm. creative in that sort of sense. It is a kind of manly Because thing that's that reproductive doing. rather than yeah, exactly. original. Exactly. And yet what <laughs> you reproduce is original. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's the yeah. twins, aren't they? <laughs> but it doesn't come from nowhere. No, no, <laughs> That's right. That right. Let, let me ask you, I mean, mm. in, in a way we've already started talking mm. about this, mm. but the, the enemies of creativity, mm. the, the things that work against mm. creativity, mm. because and the loss of there's a whole genre mm. of romantic poetry mm. which is just about mm. how you know, I can't do it anymore, mm. the, the, mm. the, the influence mm. is gone. Mm. What, what are some of the things that stop people being creative? Well, especially, just, sorry, just sure. especially if you think that everyone starts from a baseline mm. of creativity. Mm. Well, I do think there is a distinction between starting with creativity and starting with the artistic. I think they're not quite the same. I think the artistic can have an apprenticeship, so that we actually can help people retain ways of seeing the familiar things in unfamiliar ways. I was saying creativity requires a certain level of something like intuition, mm. <laughs> Some, which is not quite because when we're often working with a lot of uh, artists in, at the university and other places, we see many who, who are who are very keen to to work on that medieval apprenticeship, on the mm. model of medieval apprenticeship, so they can learn a craft, mm. and they can do better at, at disassociation, do better at entering a Vatic state. Although, and Jonathan, this is mm. something you've been emphasizing mm. quite a lot that you need to know your stuff. Yeah. You can't yes, just sit down and yeah. do but automatic it, writing. But even within that, there might be some some distinction. So, you know, I'm reminded of, of Leo Tolstoy, who's obviously no slouch when it came to mm-hmm. literature, but saying, without being self-effacing of his wife, mm-hmm. I am the artisan and she is the artist. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting distinction. Yes. You know, I can write you a first-class novel, I can do that's that, right. but there's something that she's yes. got that I haven't necessarily got. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm very sceptical of, of divine notions mm-hmm. of creativity, mm-hmm. I, I, I think we have to accept that there are certain people with me who just seem to have I, you know I work with colleagues where we work on the same material and I look at what they produce and I'll start to put it right mm. because I'm an artisan mm. and then I think mm-hmm. no 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 this is a different league of inspiration yeah. from anything that I can achieve you know so yeah and I think that's true for many that who feel that this world is already the odd one <laughs> Yeah, but it's I think, from, you know, rather the, than disassociating disassociate themselves from the baseline yeah. outward from that position they actually begin by by thinking that, I, I, I mean, that reminded me of Yeats's in the automatic writing, you know, where he mm-hmm. talked about how there's that measure of, of, of intuition but, and then measured control. But, of course, the measure comes from knowledge and, as you're saying, background and, and, and craft and apprenticeship over years. Derek Walcott used to talk about yeah. that a lot, saying that he was forever in an apprenticeship. But that's at the level of craft, not of creation. Yeah. And, and yet some people would say, wait, if you like, 
you hear people saying this about literature courses in university. The more you study literature, the less likely it is you will actually become a great novelist. Because, there's something you know, you're to Tolstoy that. All the time. How on earth are you going to sit down and write? That, chapter there's one? something to that. Mm. We see that some of our best creative writing, the writers who are coming through, and I mean students, just some of our best writers, are actually not at all. You know, in in the pool of of, of 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 students who are coming in from critical studies. I mean, I think there are you know, there are all kinds of ways in which we work against the development of trait creativity in particular. Mm-hmm. And you know, and clearly we have school systems both in the UK and here in Hong Kong which don't encourage creativity in any sense whatsoever. I mean, if you make um, if you make taking risks something which you know nobody feels that they're able to do, whether they're teachers or whether mm-hmm. they're children, you know, taking risks, reducing the the impact of error and failure, mm-hmm. absolutely critical to the creative mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. And if you stop people from doing that, if you make, as we do in in the UK, um, children at the age of thirteen decide whether they're going to be a scientist or whether they're going to be an artist, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. it. You know, I mean, there are all kinds of ways mm-hmm. in which we make it unlikely that people will develop their creativity. And yet, mm-hmm. there's another sense of creativity which is the political rhetoric around creativity. We're particularly in the UK, you know, we see creativity, whatever it might mean, as a mm-hmm. universal panacea we against the too. evils that we've created. You know, yeah. thought creativity will resolve it, creativity will solve it. And yet squeezing it out of the curriculum and squeezing it out of the lives of, of the children who most are in need of it, frankly. Mm. To ask about teaching, because both of you teach creative mm. stuff, mm-hmm. okay? Um, I want to know how you do it and also whether you can take anybody at all and help them to, like Michelangelo releasing, <laughs> to discover their, their inner creative. It goes back to what you're asking in terms of the um, enemies for creativity. Mm. They're, they're linked a bit because I think, again, we can start, we can begin by helping anyone who's arriving with an interest to to do several things that allow them to 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 see something and to reframe something, to, to, to change the perspective. Yeah. Well, I, th- I, think it's, I think it's absolutely possible to develop the creative p- potential of anyone. And I think what we forget sometimes is, you know, we, we, we talk more often about individual creativity than we do about social creativity, you know, what groups of people can produce together. And I think we can certainly help people be more creative in social, in social circumstances, becoming increasingly important to do that you know i teach creativity in a in a business school as you know yeah. and you know what we know is that the effects of automation 40 percent of the jobs that we have in the uk at the moment won't be there in 10 years and the only people who have work will be highly creative and when you look at what a highly creative occupation is it's remarkably similar to the life of an artist or group of artists so you have to be able to you know, use powers of manipulation and perception in difficult, unstructured environments, ateliers, creative workspaces. You can help people do that? Yeah, you can help people do that because you can help them discover the social in themselves and you can help people counter the natural, well, not natural, but the acquired narcissism that we often have mm-hmm. and get people through creating secure environments which are never quite a comfort zone to, to just take that risk and push. And a lot of that training work comes from ensemble training, you know, which artists are very used to, but which now needs to be taken into the workspace because increasingly creative occupations require that ability to work with people with different, see things differently, listen to other people, mm-hmm. negotiate meanings. Ensemble training we might describe as play. Sorry? We might describe as play. Yeah, exactly. Kind of sort of yeah. role play, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, because children learn that about play. You know, they're <clears throat> rules freely accepted. They establish those rules to make 
make make play possible. Mm-hmm. And once they're in that space, they will they they come at each other as social actors rather than you know it's the, it's the social eye rather than the private me that's in play. And so it should be in social forms of creativity as well. Uh, yeah, I think that's urgent because after you're saying what you do once you take them somewhere, is they mm. actually have to depending upon the field. For instance, in writing, we have to show them the kinds of histories they're already in, th- yeah. that they're involved in without knowing. <laughs> so, for instance, if they're starting to talk about images that they begin to see they normally didn't see and they organize them, they, they need to find out the kinds of organizations that, have al- that they're already entering without their having known that originally. So, for instance, there might be they're organizing a story as a comedy. They don't even know that history. It helps mm. them to begin to understand that they're writing with others. Yeah. And that goes back to the non-isolation yeah. that you're talking about as well. It really makes a large difference because then they recognize without that context, being out of context, they have no idea of their own convictions. And they I, need I, to begin to know what their own convictions are. And they can't understand that without the context being wide enough mm-hmm. once they're displaced mm-hmm. to situate themselves and resituate themselves so that, that original voice, so to speak, whatever that may be, actually has a, has a context and a frame of reference. Because I often find that most of them most of the time, they don't have a point of reference. So you're you're exactly right. You can position them differently, slow them down, have them see a familiar thing and unfamiliar, but without any pattern and point of reference historically, artistically, they have no they have no position by which the frame of reference identifies them. I think we're living a, an interesting historical time with all of this as well. I think in my lifetime, the the notion of Creativity as meaning the arts and forms of cultural expression are na- are more closely tied to creativity in the sense of human ingenuity and skill and invention than they ever have been. I mean, we've 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 liked to believe that um, artists live in some other space outside the market and the experiences are transcendental and you wouldn't want the grubbiness of profit. And yet, increasingly, you know, we understand that a artists are all businesses and b that intellectual property, which is what artists have by definition is the new oil so i think there's a there's a a, people trying to seek and see where these correlations are and the interesting byproduct of that for me if we think about social creativity is that issues around participation inclusion diversity which have been seen in recent decades as social justice issues rather than economic issues have suddenly become major economic issues. Mm. What we know is the most creative companies, most successful creative companies have high level of of diversity in terms of being gender positive and and ethnic and racial representation. So it's not social justice issues anymore. So we're at a time when creativity is both good for society and good for business and I've never lived through that period before so I'll be interested to see where we take it. That's that's very interesting and I'm We've almost used up our time, but I, I want to, in a way you've started to answer my last question, but it, it's this. All this is predicated on the notion that originality is good. What's so wonderful about originality? After all, there have been cultures that don't prize originality. The ancient Egyptians, yeah. for example, go on doing things in the same way. It seemed to be perfectly okay for them. Uh, you know, I, th- I think that, that that's right, and, and we've we've talk comfortably with the assumptions both that it's a fairly masculinist narrative and secondly it's a very western one it's very progressive you know it's about you know it's about newness it's about a linear path it's about progress and of course in many cultures that's not the case but on the other hand you know reproduction can be original i mean we go to see macbeth over and over because we're interested in what is being brought to it and how it's being freshly seen and it's what what people do with their agency within the structures that they're given which i think is is very interesting but yes originality We'll also, I, I don't want to apologise for it either. I mean, I, you know, 
I am a progressive and I do like to think that we're pushing forward and that, you know, we can produce original new work, new ideas, new ways of living together, which will benefit us all. <laughs> I have to bring a, bring a halt to this creative flow because we've used up all the time. So thank you very much indeed, Paige Richards, Jonathan Leland, and thank you for listening. <laughs>